0: So cares about what people think about us.
1: Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it.
0: Come in to the pff nfl podcast steve palazzolo back here with sam monson and with our very special guest it's hall of famer kurt warner at kurt 13 warner on twitter kurt thanks for joining us man
2: you got it uh, i'm excited about uh, the draft coming up obviously the quarterback possibilities so i appreciate you having me on
0: yeah that's what we're gonna do this, it's a quarterback show and by the way hi sam Hi Steve, it's good to How's have going? you here too. But we got we got we got Kurt for a short period of time.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's understandable.
0: And we got to talk these first round quarterbacks. By the way, before we get into it, Kurt has launched QB Confidential, a video based membership only website that delves into the various aspects of learning, viewing, and coaching the game of football, featuring video tutur- tutorials from Kurt on X's and O's mechanics, mindset, play calling, leadership, and more. Follow. QB Confidential on Twitter and Instagram. Do you want to mention QB Confidential just really quick before we get into things?
2: Yeah, you no, know, I'm just excited about it. it's my opportunity to be able to teach coaches and quarterbacks, uh, you know, and, and teach the masses. I coach high school football. I do some individual stuff, but I've always wanted to be able to have a, 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 you know, further reach in the game, and so this is my way to do it. So I hope everybody just go to qbconfidential.com, check it out. A lot of great content there for any coach, player fan doesn't matter I think there's a lot of stuff that you can uh, you can get out of it
1: so it's it's a great way into this though with the rookie quarterbacks what do you look for first and foremost when you're studying these guys because obviously everybody everybody's grinding the same tape but not everybody is a former NFL great quarterback with QB confidential and this whole system set up behind them to to know what they're looking for
2: well the, the thing is is I believe you know anytime you see somebody break down tape you've got to kind of ask them uh, what lens they're looking at the tape through. And, um, you know, I've always said it, when I got into the business, uh, I think there was an internal bias uh, for me as an analyst to go, well, this is what I know. I know how I played the game. So I view tape very similar to that. And so for me, the biggest thing always becomes processing. Um, You know, that can you process information quickly? Can you get through your reads? Can you get it to the right guy? because I believe that's something that translates. Uh, I also look at the ability or the understanding of how to make different kinds of throws. I know a lot of these guys have cannon arms and can throw it a mile. I want to know if they can change up the pace of their ball. Can they, I use a term oftentimes, I say, can, they, can it be firm but soft? Can you, can you have great touch on the football but still get it where it needs to go? And so, um, you know, I, I break down a lot of these guys and I always say, I'm not breaking down their athleticism. I I have no idea how that translates. I wasn't an athlete, that wasn't my thing. Um, So we can look at it and say, man, this guy's really fast or this guy's really elusive. He could probably, you know, run the zone reads and do some of those things. I'm just not an expert on that. So when I break down tape, I look at processing, I look at accuracy and those are the two things, um, you know, that that really make sense to me. And so I always gauge my film study based on, on those two areas primarily.
0: I, we talk about this a lot on the PFF NFL podcast here about I think when we evaluate, we look at accuracy and decision making and some of those, you know, high level types of things. But recently in the NFL, we've seen Josh Allen maybe become more accurate with a cannon for an arm. Right. So he's improved. We saw Justin Herbert, I think, look completely different than what he looked like in Oregon. Much improved, better decision making, better processing. Uh, maybe Lamar Jackson maybe looked a little bit cleaner as a, as a passer than he did uh, in, in college. Are you seeing that different where maybe guys with really incredible tools are starting to develop more than maybe they did in the back with Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbard and some of these other guys were drafted, you know, eight or 10 years ago.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, every situation is individual, uh, on who the guy is on the staff that's around him. But, you know, I had an interesting conversation with Dak Prescott a number of years ago after his rookie year with the Cowboys. And, you know, we had a conversation. I was saying, okay, talk to me a little bit. When I watched you in college, you were extremely inconsistent. You were kind of all over the place. You'd have a good game. Then you'd be all over from an accuracy standpoint. I think his rookie year, he completed, you know, over 65, maybe 67% of his passes. And I was just asking him, like, how does that happen? You know, why were you so inconsistent in college? and then so much better in your first year in the NFL. And he said, you know, Kurt, probably the biggest thing is in college, I'm doing so many of these zone reads, RPOs, where I have trouble bringing my feet to the party. And so, you know, I have to make these things off platform or your feet are going, you know, sideways when you got to make a quick throw on a, on a slant. And he said, I felt like my accuracy suffered because I was doing more of those things in college when I got to the NFL now I got to play more of my game more in the pocket lined up and this is who I feel like I can be in that kind of system and so all of this stuff um makes it really really hard to gauge who a guy is what he can be at the next level what's the system he's going to end up running uh what improvements can he make and so it is such a crapshoot when you watch these tapes to go okay this is what this guy is going to be in the pros so for me I'm Again, I'm looking at those things that I believe translates. If you know what you're looking at, and you can get through a progression, and you can read the defense. That translates. If you understand how to make different kinds of throws, that translates. And so that's kind of how I break down tape. Is I'm going to look at the things that I know can translate to the next level, and I'm going to wage uh, you know that you know heavier than you know that some some things that I don't understand or I don't know will necessarily translate to the next level. And again, it's probably a flawed system, uh, because I'm not taking everything into consideration. But at the same time, I'm not sitting here pretending like I know things I don't know. I'm looking at it based on how I look at the game, things that I believe can, can, can correlate to the next level. And then you have to go from there because there's so many factors once they get to the NFL.
1: I mean, there's no perfect system for all of this. So <laughs> an imperfect system, I don't think is anything to, to complain about. Does that make you higher on a guy like Mac Jones than some other people? Because those are his calling cards when you watch the tape, processing, accuracy. And I'm fascinated by your take on my Mac Jones comp, player comp, because everyone tries to project these guys to the next level, and they usually stick with players that are in the NFL right now. Um, right. But when I was watching Mac Jones, he reminded me of Mark Bolger a little bit. So okay. obviously, okay. you have firsthand experience
2: of that. How, how off am I? Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I don't think you're off. I mean, you know, you're looking at Mac Jones, who's a pocket passer, and a guy that, as you said, I believe he processes information better than the other four top guys um, you know, that we're looking at, you know, at the top of the draft. You know, the problem is, is as you guys know, where is he at from an athletic standpoint? And, you know, again, this is something I break down. I look at quarterback athleticism. I don't look at how fast you run a 40 uh, or how big and strong you are. That's for somebody else. But to me, there's, there's a level of quarterback athleticism, the ability to move in the pocket, the ability when – uh, you're not on platform or somebody's chasing you or you're going out of the pocket, the ability to make those second-level throws with enough velocity to kind of separate you. Um, you know, Kind of the same conversation we had about Daniel Jones a couple years ago. Against air, he's got plenty of arm. But when he gets off platform a little bit and he's falling away, can he still make those special kinds of throws? And that, to me, is going to be the real question with Mac Jones, is do you have a guy like an Andy Dalton Andy Dalton, I'm a huge Andy Dalton fan. He processes information, he's got great anticipation, he's accurate, he's won a lot of games in the National Football League, but I don't believe he's a guy that can ever carry a team with his right arm because he's not physically talented enough to do that um, simply from a passing standpoint. And so that to me is where you, you have to sit back and wonder with Mac Jones. I think he's got all those other pieces and things that translate. Like you said, Mark Bulger was a great player Uh, in the National Football League for a period of time because he processed, uh, he could make every throw. He didn't have a cannon arm, but he had great anticipation, understood how to make different throws. So that's very similar to who Mac Jones is. Um, But Mark was also a gifted thrower. He might not have been able to throw the ball 65 yards, but man, he could get the ball out and was a very, very gifted thrower, maybe the most gifted thrower that I was ever around in the National Football League. And so I'm not sure Mac Jones is on that level. Yeah. you know, from a throwing standpoint. Um, but again, Mark didn't have a big arm. He wasn't, you know, a big strong guy, but he made up for that with some of the things that he could do, releasing the football and anticipating it, and some of that. Yeah,
0: underrated Mark Bulger.
1: Well, no, I think that's definitely true. When I went back and like watched some Mark Bulger to sort of reinforce the comp in my mind, that was the difference between the two. You're like, ah, I mean, Mac Jones can't quite do some of these things that Bulger's doing, but stylistically, and there's a lot of similarities, but yeah. you know, no player comp is ever perfect. the the
0: (laughs) off-platform stuff feels like it's more important than ever it just it feels like and I know you you wanted to make a comeback a couple years ago you're watching NFL offenses you're like man they're they're making it easier than ever right like it feels like it's easier to manufacture offense but the thing separating the best quarterbacks is okay when things aren't there and you know the off-balance stuff and that brings me to Trevor Lawrence Zach Wilson Uh, how do you stack those guys up how good is trevor lawrence in the 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 talent is undeniable but what do you see in him as a prospect
2: yeah i mean of all these guys he's by far the most complete i shouldn't say by far but he's the most complete of these guys and so the ability uh you know to have the you know physicality whether it's running the football making throws on the run um you know plenty of arm uh you know he processes things pretty well Um, you know you always again have to take into consideration what kind of offense they're running but there are certain things you see from him that you go and this guy's got the ability to do a lot of different things and because of that he's number one on my board as he is with most people's board because you are always looking for guys okay who's got the most things that they can do the most things that can translate to the next level and I think he is that guy um, that has shown us with his body of work that he can do all of those things. And so I really like him because I think he can fit in a lot of different styles of offense. Um, You know, you you can have him on the run. You can move him. He can throw off platform. He can make plays with his feet. So you've just got a complete package there um, in, in a Trevor Lawrence. So that's why I put him number one. And then Zach Wilson, I think for everybody, is the most intriguing quarterback in this draft because he hasn't played a lot of football. And, you know, if you go back and watch their offense, it's so frustrating for me to watch their offense because, you know, they ran in the same plays over and over and over again. And a lot of times it wasn't perfectly designed for the coverage they were seeing. So it really came down to Zach Wilson having to make plays. And we saw last year he can make plays. He's a gifted thrower of the football. When I talk about quarterback athleticism, he's the best in this class, in my opinion, at being able to, understand different kinds of throws and I liken him to a Patrick Mahomes and as you guys said you're always going to liken him to somebody in the league but no comparison is perfect and we're not going to throw anybody into the mix of Patrick Mahomes because he's been really special the first couple years but he's got a creativity with the way that he plays the game and an athleticism with which he throws the football that is very rare. Not a lot of guys have that and I see Zach Wilson very similarly in that mold yet I don't know enough about the other pieces to know exactly what he's going to be at this next level. But, you know, when you get a guy that understands how to play the game athletically like that, I believe that always translates. It's just like, you know, when you say, sometimes you just have a football player or you you put a ball in somebody's hands and they just understand how to make plays. I didn't necessarily see that from Patrick Mahomes coming out of college because there was a lot of things that were off schedule. And, and a lot of times he's throwing slants into the third window and you're going, this stuff can't translate. You can't do that. But when you're just watching film, you're basing it off of, hey, you know, he's laid on that throw. When you actually watch him play at this next level, now you go, well, maybe he wasn't just out there running around playing in the backyard maybe he's got a level of creativity and and a mindset that that allows him to see things that other guys don't see. Hard to tell from the college tape, but we've seen it at the NFL level. And that, to me, becomes the question with Zach Wilson. I think his athleticism will translate really, really well as a passer. But I just, you know, like most of us, we haven't seen enough of really a lot of these guys to really know exactly what they're going to be at the next level. But I put Zach Wilson at number two because of some of the, you know, Deficiencies that I've seen with the other guys, but maybe more importantly, just because I like the way he plays athletically and, and the different kinds of throws I saw on tape, I just say to myself, it's a guy that knows how to play the quarterback position, even if he's got room to grow from a from a processing and understanding standpoint.
1: See, Kirk gets it. You can compare players to other players without saying they're the same thing. And that's yes. the whole purpose of this, comparisons. Right. This is not
0: my side here. This is a safe place (laughs) to make comparisons without equating the player there will be no headline that says kurt warner thinks zach wilson is is better than patrick mahomes Mahomes or is doesn't happen here on our podcast
1: um so appreciate that (laughs) where are you kurt on the whole justin fields thing because as we get closer to the draft he seems to be the guy that everybody's nitpicking that's trying to pull holes in his game what do you see with him do you think that's justified or are we just getting into the silly season
2: yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's silly. I mean, um, you know, here, here's the thing is I, I can look at all these guys and I can find you a deficiency. Sure. Why I have Trevor Lawrence number one is because there's less deficiencies across the board than the other guys. But all of these guys, to me, there are things that you point to and go, well, he could be great in the NFL, but I want to see this a little bit more. And so uh, I actually just recently did a breakdown of Justin Fields and – I can do one breakdown where I love so many things that he does. He shows that he can process really, really well at times. He understands how to make different kinds of throws, that firm but soft throw that I was talking about. He does that really, really well. He's accurate. He's strong. He's athletic. And so I can show you a tape where you look at it and you go, man, this guy you know, could, could be number two on this list. Maybe he's a- as good as Trevor Lawrence when you w- look at some of the tape. And then there's other times where – uh, I just questioned some of this processing. And so what, what's always hard for me is when I see a guy that at times seems to process really, really well. And then at other times seems to struggle processing. It's hard for me in my mind to go, okay, what's going on here? Why can they do it sometimes and not other times? Am I being fooled by the good or, you know, is something going on with the bad that, that I just don't know about? But but that to me is what gives me pause with Justin Fields is that there's just times where I'm not really sure what he's processing on, on specific plays but there's other times where I watch him go through one two three get there on a timely fashion get all the way to four and his check down I mean there's really good things to like about Justin Fields so that's why I say I think people are just being nitpicky when you kind of rank your guys I tell everybody all the time it really comes down to what your flavor is yeah. and as I told you I look at processing really really high on my list so I put Mac Jones just a a notch maybe above Fields from that standpoint, but we also know Fields has all these other tools that Mac Jones doesn't have. So if that's something you like, if that fits your system, I could easily see Fields going up above um, Mac Jones. I could see him even going up above a Zach Wilson because the body of work and what we've seen from him, to me, is more complete than a Zach Wilson. Again, I just love the quarterback athleticism that he shows and want to believe that that's going to translate to the next level in, in a similar fashion to what I saw from from a Patrick Mahomes from college to the pros.
0: I, I agree with a lot of Kurt's takes here. I like it. And so can I is it fair to say your rankings Trevor Lawrence Zach rough right Zach Wilson then Jones three fields four and Trey is Trey Lance number five.
2: Yeah, that's exactly how I would have it and uh, and again, I, I could easily make a case to put Justin Fields all the way up there at number two sure. and Zach and Mack at number four. Um, but, uh, you know, based on the way that I looked at it, I just, I like the way Mac Jones really processes information and you guys know, I mean, Alabama open is different than NFL open, right? When you're playing with the Alabama talent, things can be different, you know, these top wide receivers. And so those are always the hard things to really assess is man, you got a clean pocket and you're throwing to really good receivers. Well, maybe it's pretty easy to process. Um, you know, but again, not that, you know, uh, Justin Fields is, wasn't playing with you know, with great players as well. But you're just trying to mesh and and figure all that stuff out. And so projections to me are really, really tough. So what I always look at is, okay, what do I like about them? What do I think can translate? And uh, Mac Jones, you talked about Mark Bolger. I look at Mac Jones and I say he plays very much like I played, is that he played by reading defenses, understanding how to throw, Um, you know different kinds of balls seeing and having great vision and so that's probably why that bias because of how I played puts him up a little bit ahead of Justin Fields but I would not argue with anybody that that flips some of those guys around
0: I know you got to go but do you want to wrap it up with a quick take on Trey Lance why he's five and obviously look smallest sample size here too so it's probably a little harder to project
2: yeah I mean the biggest thing was just consistency I'm big on consistency I want to see a guy perform at a certain level game in game out Um, and you know when I don't see that it worries me a little bit and you mentioned it earlier uh, in in this pod just you know the guys that you see him in college and then you go and I don't know if you can really make that jump in the NFL well we've seen some guys and Josh Allen jumps to mind a guy that went from like a 60% accuracy guy to you know high 60s last year and you're just kind of blown away like can that happen and Trey Lance to me when it's all said and done he could be the best quarterback in this class because he has every bit of the tools that you're looking for. He's got the athleticism. He's got the big arm. Uh, When I break down tape, he's got the ability to make second-level throws over and over again. Uh, There's times where it seems like he processes information really, really well. Uh, But what drops him to five on my list was just his inconsistency with his accuracy. But there were a number of times where he had guys open and the ball was kind of all over the place. and so that is something that concerns me because you don't see a lot of guys jump in their accuracy and their consistency of accuracy at the next level. And so small sample size, as you guys said, and that's probably a disservice to him because most of the tape was two years ago. You know, we can't sit here and say, okay, where has he made improvements? And what's he doing better now than he did two seasons ago, even though we have the one game and I actually thought it was maybe his worst game was the game that he played last year. Um, You know, but when you put a season together like that, you know you're going to play one game. How do you evaluate that? Um, But that's why. And so I love his upside. And I could, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, if he, you know, came together and got in the right system, people saying, man, this guy is the best quarterback from that draft class. But to me, too many inconsistencies right now uh, to put him over those other guys because those other guys, are really good and showed great production at a high level and show tremendous skill sets, um, You know, especially three out of those top four, uh, athletically as well as arm talent and, and all of those things. So um, so naturally just kind of slots, Trey Lance there at number five for me.
0: I love it. Thank you, Kurt. That's awesome. Great takes. Be sure to you know follow Kurt Warner, follow him on NFL Network and get to qbconfidential.com because Kurt's passion for quarterback play really comes through. Yeah. And I think it'll come through in QBconfidential.com as well. Thank you, Kurt.
2: Thank you. You bet, guys. I appreciate you having me on and uh, enjoy enjoy the rest of the process.
0: <laughs> we will. <laughs> Thank you. I agree with a lot of kurt stuff. Yeah.
1: He was he was very close to our takes on a lot of this. Stuff. He was. And nuanced takes as well. I know. I have an ally in, in the reclaim the comparison battle that I'm Silently waging, well, not silently waging, waging solo. Now I, now I have Kurt Warner to add to the ranks. Make all the comparisons you want. A man that wants to compare players and understands that that does not mean you are equating them. You can say there are things that remind me of Patrick Mahomes without saying Zach Wilson is Patrick Mahomes.
0: Here's the best thing I think Kurt said when he, the first thing he said because he took one of my questions. One of my questions was going to be, how do you separate yourself from player bias? The I think the biggest mistake player analysts make is only compare themselves, uh, players to themselves, right? And I think I mean sure, Kurt looks at processing and things that he did well as things that lead to NFL success, but he's right. Yeah, right. It's not just because well, I I mean, what would be wrong is like, man, I never read defenses. I just like if Brett Favre went out there and be like, I didn't read defenses. I just chucked it as hard as I could, and you know. Well, that was
1: Dan Marino's thing. like yeah. if like Dan Marino was just like, look, the only way to play this game is to just drop back, find, see the open guy and fling it at him. That's how we do this thing. right. Like, you know there was that quote that somebody asked, hey, Dan, you know when you're uh, broke down a play essentially, you know, when you faced this cover three and you saw this, how did you pivot to these like Dude, I just dropped back and hit the open guy. Like, what do you want from me?
0: Right So if Dan Marino only looked for people who played like Dan Marino, yes. that would be a mistake. If Kurt only looked for people who looked like him, that would be a mistake so i think the fact that the first thing he said is i learned early in this process i needed to lose my biases um biases whatever it is um i experienced this in minor league baseball before sam talking to a, of course you did a very prominent major league pitcher very prominent and i was uh you know i got to pick his brain for advice mm-hmm. and he gave me the worst stupid advice that was useless <laughs> why you're gonna break
1: out this story about a sport i don't give a crap about you're not even going to name drop the only interesting element in it might be who it was that gave you the crappy advice and instead you're going to protect his it anonymity was,
0: it wasn't that it was bad advice it was just useless it was kurt Schilling.
1: there we go All so it's right. crap on kurt Schilling.
0: so like somebody set me up hey you get to pick kurt's brain i'm like this is great yeah i throw a splitter just like him he struggled with his control early in his career and then figured it out just like having having me, seen you aim at the football target i, I struggle with that. my control yes and he was watching me and my buddy pitch and he watched video of my buddy and he's like i like that you go over your head and your wind up and that you step to the side yeah and it's like the two most you know just doesn't matter like the most useless parts of the pitching motion that he said he liked and he liked it because that's what he does for so
1: for people that don't know we we had this partnership with Eckrich, the official smoked sausage of the college football playoffs and they sent us this giant target that they use um, on the field, like during games as part of their promotional competition. It's, it's basically just a cutout of a, a football player um, with a hole, you know, around where the hands are. Uh, a little bit bigger than the ball. It's actually, it's a pretty small hole, given that you're throwing a football at it. wasn't easy. Marginally larger than the football that has to pass through the hole. Um, and, you know, we were going to use this as an event at PFF and, and get public Uh, throwing at the ball, competition, all this kind of stuff. But it meant that we had this target kicking around the office for a while. So obviously, football, this was back pre-pandemic. We have footballs, we have a target. You know, do I need to draw a picture? So we're all out throwing the ball at this target and trying to get various social videos of ourselves hitting the target. And this thing was sheet metal. I don't know what gauge it was, but it was, you know, a solid piece of sheet metal. And I was genuinely concerned that we were going to be sending back a dented uh, target to these people because you were firing these absolute lasers at it. Now, I wasn't very concerned at all that you were ever going to hit the hole, but I was very concerned that you were going Just to either dent the target or damage things surrounding the target with the velocity that you were firing the football. That's fair. Yeah, so I can was definitely firing envisage... laser
0: beams off the target.
1: Yeah, so I can definitely picture you, you know, being somewhat scattershot
0: with a baseball. Yeah, well kurt didn't help me in that regard yeah no. because he only Schilling, not warner. the point was kurt Schilling, yes. not kurt warner kurt Schilling only looked at the most irrelevant parts of the motion and said i do it like this therefore i like that you do it like that and it's like how about some more tangible advice that i could put into you know not, there was yeah, nothing like that came out of it jim Furyk breaking you know teaching a golfer is weird looping yeah ridiculous right. swing thing so i have respect for kurt warner as a former and I see other NFL players do this where it's like you do know, just only compare to what they did um so anyway this is we appreciate Kurt for coming on I liked a lot of his takes I also like the fact it's it's nuanced man I mean it's quarterback evaluations people only like to go back and say you hit here you missed there and you had the right ranking you had the wrong rank wrong ranking or whatever there are nuances to this there are outside forces involved and there are also forces that we can't see in Kurt Warner acknowledge that Right? I thought the DAC story was fantastic. Really good. And so here's how we normally view RPOs completion percentage on an RPO is over 80%. Right? So Mac Jones had the highest PFF grade and completion percentage and all the best stats on RPOs last year. And you would normally say that inflated this guy's stats. Therefore, he had it easy. What you don't think about is how the footwork is completely different it's completely different from a drop back passing attack and it might actually throw you off a little bit when you have to do non-rpo type of things i actually hadn't viewed things through that lens i thought that was eye-opening
1: yeah and also that not just that um so even if you picked up on that watching tape right even if you were you know big into quarterback mechanics and footwork and all these kinds of things and you watch this guy's tape and your takeaway is man, I don't love his footwork and it's a little bit sketchy and he doesn't always, you know, have his feet under him and all these kinds of things. You might be down on this guy because of that, but you haven't identified the reasoning for it. You haven't looked at this and said, oh yeah, his footwork is an issue, but the reason for that is he's trying to make all these quick throws off the RPOs. It's sort of, it's the offense is forcing him into these quick, you know, throws where he can't keep his mechanics all in check. And if actually we take that away and we ask him to play in a much more conventional NFL system, suddenly that's one of his biggest negatives disappears. And and he he made essentially the same point in a different way with the Mahomes stuff, right? You're looking and it's like this guy's hitting the third window of a slant, which you just shouldn't ever do. The ball should be long gone by then, Um, and Mahomes is doing it all the time. We're like, well, that 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 doesn't fly at the next level, but what you, you know again what you haven't been able to tell up until then is well this is just this guy has a level of processing that enables him to throw the ball to specific windows that other people never mess with because they don't have the ability to extend it that long or manipulate things to the point where that third window
0: is an option for them i actually made that exact point i'm going to name drop again oh, nice i made that point to trent dilfer okay when i was a coach at elite 11 so we're at Elite Eleven a couple of years ago, and we were grading, uh, using our grading system on the Elite Eleven prospects, the mm-hmm. top 18, trying to narrow it down to the 11, and then the winner. And Trent was asking about our grading system, and I said it's just positive or negative, and this is how we do it. And he said, well, what if they hit the wrong read? And actually, Josh Rosen had a play where I think he just completely hit the wrong read, um, and he checked down way too early. And Trent's like, I want to downgrade him. And, and the discussion we had is like, well, we're going to grade objectively what they do and not try to predict what they should have done and it will show up in the grading. And I said, if a guy doesn't go through his natural progression, like say he throws the corner out when he shouldn't and he hits it, right? That's a level of creativity or seeing things, even though he didn't do it by the book or traditionally our grading system will essentially parse that out over time. So if a guy does that too often and he misses the throw or throws a pick to a safety or whatever it is, it'll show up negatively. If it works for him, then why does he have to do it by the book? Because it works and, he's, and maybe he sees things differently and it's a different level of creativity. Yeah,
1: I mean, it allows us to essentially quantify players like Patrick Mahomes, who don't, do it, who don't do it the way everybody, and Brett Favre, who don't do it the way everybody else does, but do it well doing that. So if you were criticizing those guys for art, you know, Lawrence Taylor had that famous clip, right? It's like, what are you doing? Like, that's not in the playbook. He said, "Well, we should probably put it in then, because it just worked." <laughs> right. Like, Lawrence Taylor spent a career going off script and doing whatever the hell he liked, and it dominated. It worked. So, you can't like, you can't start negatively grading him for that because it's working. Right. And it's working to the point consistently where you have to like, he's dominating. So, it's not that you would say, "Well, look, he's he's able to get away with it, so everybody should do this. Freelance all you want. It's fine. It is a bad thing." But if you're good enough at doing it and getting away with it, it becomes a good thing. And you should essentially reward them when it works and criticize them when it doesn't. And then that grade will give you an idea of whether that guy's capable of juggling that balance. JJ Watt for years, like used to attack essentially the wrong gap in the run game and go the long way around because he was fast enough to get it done. Now you can't, you know, if you're looking at that, you're saying, well, you're not JJ Watt, don't do that. Because you can't execute that to a high level consistently. JJ Watt can. So he can do whatever the hell he likes in the run game in terms of attacking gaps.
0: And, and if he continues to take the wrong gap and it affects the team negatively, yeah. then he'll get a negative grade. Because In right. our production-based system, it'll show up. Exactly. If he, if he, do, if he isn't
1: able to, um, to make it work, at doing it the wrong
0: way, it will show up in the grading. If he is, then it's not a problem. So a couple things we want to do on the show. This is our QB evaluation show. So we're going to go through all of our QB takes and go through the entire class. Kurt just kind of kicked it off for us. Um, I do want to first tell you about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. So just listen to this deal first. First off, if you like fantasy football, you like fantasy playing for money, you need to check out Underdog. Underdog's got everything, including season long and playoff. Best ball. Best ball is your season long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. No in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performance each week, saving you loads of time. So here's the deal. Go to Underdog Fantasy, deposit 10 bucks. That's it. Use the promo code PFF and get a free pay- PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF, draft now at Underdog Fantasy. So you understand the implications of this. For 10 bucks, you get PFF Edge annual, which comes up with some of our fantasy tools, some great stuff. But right now, most importantly, the PFF Draft Guide, over 1,200 pages, over 300 player profiles. And because you get 365 days of access, you'll get next year's draft guide as well. So you're pretty much getting, just if you want draft guides, two draft guides for 10 bucks. Underdog Fantasy promo code is PFF. We're going to go into all of our quarterback analysis. Okay? Mm-hmm. We'll go through the whole thing. Um, let's start with Trevor Lawrence at the top. Oh, the one other thing I wanted to say. We have all sorts of new listeners, and we appreciate you. Can we do something to appreciate our new listeners? What do you want to do? Can we just can we do our own giveaway of PFF Edge or, or a draft guide? Okay? Why don't we do that? So um, we have more new listeners than ever right now. And we want you to stick with us. We want you to be with us. So don't forget when the football, you know draft ends, draft season ends. We come back here. we're, all, we're here all off season, and then we're during the season we're reviewing and previewing every single NFL game. So we want you to stick with us so if you send us a screenshot we have two podcasts that sam and i host Mm -hmm. send me a screenshot or send us a screenshot nfl podcast at pff.com send us a screenshot of you subscribing to both the pff nfl podcast and the pff nfl daily both and we'll put you in the running for a free edge annual let's do edge annual okay sound good
1: nfl podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t singular at pff.com
0: so a screenshot of a some way that you're showing that you're subscribing to our podcast and the pff nfl daily it's not just new listeners it's all of you so but I, but we want to give away a free pff edge annual uh, maybe more depends on how many people actually send that in is that good enough sure a good way to do it okay so we appreciate everybody let's get into the quarterback analysis now trevor lawrence we had this discussion a few weeks ago what is this generational talent what does this look like what are his range of outcomes but as a player what do we see on film from him like what what is good what can what can he improve lawrence is funny because um
1: you know when most of the t- i don't watch a ton of college football during the season um and for a long time all i had seen from trevor lawrence wasn't good you know when you just catch a wave of a guy's bad plays anytime you you look up and yeah, that's the, you and your the bad, bad first TV. impressions so like literally the first i think his first ever throw in college was like a jump ball down the sideline where the wide receiver made it for him, right? The wide receiver like basically took away, mossed the DB, took away a pick, and I think like the DB falls over and runs it in, touchdown. I was like, wow, Trevor Lawrence has arrived! Number one overall pick, blah, blah, You know, the hype was already there with him anyway, and first plays a touchdown or whatever it was, we're all all on the Trevor Lawrence hype train immediately. You're like, well, that first play was kind of bad. Like it wasn't, anyway, and I hadn't, I hadn't actually seen him play well for a long time. and and he's a guy that as much as he is, he has been anointed as this number one overall pick for his entire college career. Um, you know, George was making the point earlier in, in a meeting that his grades aren't great. Like they're good. They're very good. Um, and they've been consistently above 90, which is a sort of benchmark for elite play at PFF, um, even at the college level. But he never really sort of threatened those single seasons we've seen from Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, or even this year, you know, the Mac Jones uh, season, the the Zach Wilson season. Um, And it is interesting sort of just how high we think his ceiling is generally. Not we, PFF, we as a collective looking at this draft. It's like we all know he's the safest and most sure thing at number one overall pick, but how good do we think he can be?
0: You're asking me the question? Yes. I think he'd be really good. Okay. Okay. andrew luck look i think the andrew luck proxy then
1: i guess the question is why hasn't he been better if he can be that special why has he not been
0: mind-blowingly special in college because part of part of being a good prospect as much as we are a production-based company and uh, we believe in production translating at the next level it's not as clean as highest graded guy in college becomes best nfl it's not that clean and it's not and there's there's no evidence that says that so i think the best way to evaluate is a level of production that is quantified the way pff does it and then you add traits like say a quant quantified traits to the mix right because traits traits are are very much like what you can do it's the thing that we don't quantify but we say, look, it, it exists. It's there. Josh Allen had these specific traits and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, these specific things that if a lot of things go right or the situation gets a little bit better, these things can you know, rise to the top or whatever. So I think it's that combination with Trevor Lawrence that say, okay, he can make any throw on the field. And that that's a generic, horrible phrase, makes all the throws. Mm. But he legitimately, like when you watch Peyton Manning in – the NFL, the way they ran that offense, you legitimately had to cover every inch of grass. He he could throw a fade, he could throw a slant, and once you covered the fade, the slant was open. Right there was there was answers to each of those things. Trevor Lawrence has that. He will throw the deep out with velocity that maybe not every quarterback tries. At the same time, if you're covering, a, and then you could throw, you could drop it over the top vertically. If you're covering the vertical, he'll throw the back shoulder. He has every throw in the book. And he can make them at a high level. He has enough running ability to just add that little element, much like an Andrew Luck. He has enough pocket presence. His turnover-worthy throws have been pretty low for a guy that stretches the field as much as he does. So I think Lawrence is very good. And almost everything so from a production standpoint three straight years of 90 plus pff grades check for me even if it didn't tease baker mayfield because like what's the difference between baker mayfield and joe burrow and mac jones and Zach wilson some of their great grades some of it's probably just having great receivers and a great system like the difference between a 90 and a 93 or 94 we've talked about this before how much is your supporting cast i would say with lawrence production's good enough traits are incredible and that combination puts that quote-unquote upside extremely high
1: yeah so the highest he's ever been in terms of pff overall grade in the nation was seventh um and that was in 2018 so the first of those seasons uh true freshman year right which is impressive like really impressive but he again like joe burrow was the number one graded quarterback in the nation the year he came out um and you know this year mac jones is the number one great quarterback in the nation number two zach wilson um who was actually number one in terms of pure passing grade in fact one two three this year is mac jones zach wilson justin fields trevor lawrence is good but eighth you know behind kyle trask who we're putting in the second round probably um so it's just it's it is interesting to me that a guy who is so universally acclaimed as being amazing this great first, number one overall pick since day one on campus was consistently very 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 good 90 plus grades are really hard to achieve most people don't do it but didn't have one of those iconic seasons where you know he put that grade just into absurd stratospheric levels
0: that you know you might expect a guy who's that good to to have done lawrence has had a couple rough games in there so again if you're this is where i don't know how much you want to pick it apart and i always use this fields by the way he did But, like, Peyton Manning has this one game. I got to dig it up because I did it a couple years ago. Peyton Manning had this one game. I think it was his senior year against South Carolina where he went, like, 9 for 25. And I was just imagining, like, everything else about Peyton Manning's career was, like, wow, number one overall pick. This guy's great. I can only imagine what Twitter was doing that day in 1996 when Peyton went 9 for 25 or whatever against South Carolina. Um, So I think, like, you're not – you're, like, allowed to have – Bad games. You're allowed to sure, have all that stuff, has. right? Um, and Lawrence has some of those. And th- th- there was a very interesting Sports Illustrated article about him. Even in the NFL. The only, the,
1: I mean, the yeah. only quarterback in the NFL last season, starting quarterback that didn't have a PFF game grade below 60, was Deshaun Watson. Right. Every other quarterback.
0: Aaron Rodgers. The MVP had one of the worst games of the season for any quarterback. Right. Every single one of them had at least one game where he stank. Everybody has them. So <clears throat> here's the what could go wrong thing. What's generally gone right for quarterbacks is that mentally and want to and the whole thing is just – it's there, right? From Tom Brady and Breeze and Rodgers and Peyton who just wanted to be the greatest to uh, Patrick Mahomes who just, you know, kind of knew how to be a professional and made his weaknesses strong and, uh, you know, you just – those guys, they have it and we don't we don't know how to quantify that. I would also say – brady breeze rogers all of those guys hit spots where they were either doubted or you know underestimated or whatever it might be and all and all of those guys had that special it factor to overcome it we've never really seen trevor lawrence hit a lull. we've never really said yeah. i mean he had a bad game we said but like he's never hit a point where people are like oh maybe you're not going number one overall like never really happened so you never know how people are gonna handle adversity. And then the Sports Illustrated article that every, people are either gonna twist as a positive or a negative. It is a
1: really interesting dynamic that, I mean, particularly in this world of people ripping Justin Fields apart, you know, with how much does Justin Fields want to be great? Yeah. And then you have Trevor Lawrence coming out there openly sort of saying, hey, look, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not obsessed with football. I'm not eat, sleep, dream this 24 seven. There's more important things in life I love it. I'm, you know, He's not obsessed. He, he's not saying the things that you expect that guy to say and doesn't care, like is perfectly happy to put it out there and know that that is not what you're supposed to say as this great number one face of the franchise quarterback. And yet it's almost certainly going to have zero effect on even his interpretation, even in his, his evaluation, not just whether the Jacks take him number one or not. It's not even going to register in terms of people dinging him for
0: it. I'm going to make the biggest mistake that I'd said that analysts make. I'm going to compare everything to myself, hmm. right? So, do you th- do you and think I this I was
1: w- talking to Kurt Schilling.
0: No. Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> it's my So, with with Trevor Lawrence, the fact that he's just like, you know, if I'm great, I'm great. You know, if I win, I win. Yeah. Whereas I I just I just made the comparison to Brady and Peyton, and like those guys just wanted to win at all costs. Brady's a 44-year-old cyborg still trying to win his eighth Super Bowl right now. Trevor Lawrence just like yeah, if it happens, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, in sports, you do have people who overthink things, right? Me, I was an overthinker, right? And I remember when Madison Bumgarner, World Series hero, goes out there and he's just like he's on short rest, his arm should be killing him, and he's just like I don't know, I'm just gonna throw a fastball, All right, I'm just gonna throw the slider, and what happens happens, and it's just like this like aw shucks attitude that Madison had. That's the type of kid he was. Made him one of the greatest World Series he- heroes of all time because he just kind of like went out, didn't overthink it, and just did it. Trevor Lawrence has an air of that to me, where it's like he's so talented, he's not going to overthink things. Media is not going to get in his head, and that could work for him. Yeah. Or is it because it's football and preparation is as much important as important as physical ability? Is that ever gonna there is be lacking. There's probably a very fine line between a
1: beneficial a, a beneficial ability to not give a crap about what everybody else is saying about all the other things that could influence, you know, just get lost in the chaos of what could happen on any given play. Like what if they send this blitz we've never practiced for during the week, all this kind of stuff, right? You could tie yourself in knots on any given play because of that and I think that's why you get a lot of quarterbacks whose biggest thing is I can't put the ball in the air until I see it open. Because who knows what could happen? Who knows if this safety is actually where he's supposed to be? This guy could make a cut, the whole thing. So I'm not putting the ball in the air until I see it. Until I see it open, then I'm confident. Um, there's probably a very fine line between not letting that stuff get in your head and having that don't-give-a-crap attitude where you're just not giving enough of a crap, right? Your Jay Cutler or your um, the, the Washington quarterback that's just crapped out. Dwayne Haskins? There you go. Dwayne Haskins, who allegedly didn't give a crap enough. Like, we, there's probably a very fine line between that, this, this ability to tune out everything and not really focus too much on the things you can't control, and you actually don't care enough about your job right now to be that good. Um, I suspect, given everything we've seen, Lawrence is on the right side of that line. But it's probably fair that, you know, some once you know somebody is is on the spectrum of heading towards that line it should be a
0: concern so that's why I think and again the PFF grade is a good good recap of exactly what's happened it's a predictor of things as well if you use the right stuff but is a good descriptor of what happened and I think even though the path to get there say Trevor Lawrence versus Andrew Luck different people different situations what have you but I think if the actual outcome is much like Andrew Luck's which is a couple seasons in the high 70s and eventually getting up into the 90s and, and becoming one of the better, best quarterbacks in the league, not just in theory, but in actuality, I could see that being the path for Trevor Lawrence. And I think that is generational, so to speak. Like, if you went back through Elway's career, he wasn't the best quarterback in the NFL right off the bat. If you went back through Peyton's career, he was close to the best quarterback by, like, year three or four, right? And he had a little bit of a lull. Um, I don't think expecting Patrick Mahomes three straight years of 90-plus grades as a starter is realistic for Trevor Lawrence. But a luck path or a Watson path, which is like high 70s, some 80s, and then boom, you're up into the 90s and you're in that mix every year is a realistic expectation for Trevor Lawrence. And I wonder if that that off-field question mark actually helps facilitate that. Like, yeah, sometimes the wind's blowing well, sometimes it's not, and that's almost going to, like, dictate performance. It is –
1: the quarterbacks that he's compared to because of this generational thing are actually really interesting when you, you know, it's Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, and John Elway are probably the three most yeah. consensus.
0: Kyper Kui- actually has that as like his four highest graded yeah. quarterbacks ever consensus,
1: um, best prospect for, you know, X generation. Um, and particularly, <clears throat> I think all three of them are kind of interesting. Manning is the one clear one where, okay, Manning was the best quarterback in that draft by a mile and always very close to the best quarterback in the NFL. He's the one I think that cl- most closely matched what was supposed to happen, right? But if you go to John Elway and um, Andrew Luck, you could definitely argue that at no point was Andrew Luck the best quarterback from his draft class. Right. You could argue that, I mean, year one, Russell Wilson and RG3 were better. Um, most of the time, Russell Wilson has been the better quarterback. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe the last couple of years, uh, Andrew Luck just jumped them, but then walked away. John Elway was in the same draft as Dan Marino and Jim Kelly. Like, there might not have been a particularly long stretch where John Elway was the best quarterback from his draft class, even though John Elway had a Hall of Fame career and, and dragged a bunch of crappy teams to the Super Bowl multiple times. Like, Dan Marino was probably always at least on par. Um, maybe didn't have the postseason sort of runs and and moments that that john elway did and jim kelly was a phenomenal quarterback as well so we might be looking at that with trevor lawrence as well like this guy could be incredible and still overshadowed
0: by one of these other guys it's a it's a really good point man And, and there's and when you say generational too it's like it doesn't mean to your point like he's gonna just be the best guy no yeah. matter what and because who's the best quarterback at any given time it's like okay there was probably a stretch where you could, where you could de- there was a stretch where you could definitely argue Peyton there's a stretch where it's like okay it's, okay Tom Brady is is the guy so it's Brady uh Rodgers has a stretch of as that guy and Patrick Mahomes has a stretch as that guy that's over the last 20 years right those are the guys that are the best quarterback in the NFL before that Brett Favre even when Elway was in the league it was probably Favre Before that, what, Steve Young and Joe Montana Like, there's a handful of guys who are declared the best quarterback in the NFL, and that's it. So we'll see if Lawrence gets there. I think this will be a healthy discussion, though, on the the PFF Draft Show as well. We're going to be live the entire weekend. It is going to be amazing. We're going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, on YouTube, on PFF.com. We have special guests. That are going to be showing up do we have confirmed special guests i think we only have one or two confirmed mm. but many are going to be showing up uh darius is going to be with us yep. former patriots panthers colts defensive back chris is going to be with us on thursday and maybe a little bit of friday he can handle a little bit of round two but it's thursday night starting at seven friday night rounds two and three we're starting at six and then saturday 11 a.m we're going to be covering. Some of the big stories of the draft rounds, four through seven. We're going to have a recap Sunday at noon. So just throw it into your Google calendar or whatever you use for calendars. Thursday night at seven, Friday, six, Saturday at 11, Sunday at noon. All right. So beyond Trevor Lawrence, let's get into some Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Let me just wrap it up with, um, with Trevor from my notes, the, some of the stuff that's gone wrong with him. He does miss a few passes on the move. I think when he, things go wrong, he speeds up too much he's he rushes his mechanics this is trevor lawrence here gets a little clunky with his footwork he's got a couple uh just rough throws in there um and he'll he'll and he but here's what i like though even in some of his negatives he'll force a couple into double coverage or whatever it might be he wants to make big plays so in my positives i said get him some downfield playmakers and dollar signs just profit and that's why I, i was thinking like adding marvin jones in the short term i think is great Give him downfield playmakers, Trevor Lawrence, and he will create chunk plays and give you that high end potential. And that's where you tap into that generational prospect thing. Like you don't make him a game manager. You make him a guy that is aggressive and throwing the ball down the field. He'll miss a couple here and there. That's fine. Let him create big plays.
1: Yeah, I think that's it's all true, Steve.
0: All true. Oh, I love when we agree. All right, Zach Wilson. Is he number two for you? When you look at these guys? I'm kind of where
1: Kurt Warner is. I've I concerningly agreed with almost everything he said. Um, I could see a scenario whereby, I think Zach Wilson is the second quarterback, but I can definitely imagine a picture where you have Justin Fields there as well. I can certainly see an argument that Fields brings as much to the table. Um, when you watch him, I, I forgot until recently that he was the first guy I actually went down and sat and watched some tape of way back And, like, the first thing you see is, oh, this offense is going to be a problem. Like, this is going to cause issues because it just, it's, A, I don't like it. I don't think it's a particularly good system. But, B, it does what they were talking about with um, Dak Prescott. It forces fields into doing a bunch of things that you can come away with the wrong impression of. Um, And that's where all this... Doesn't work through his, doesn't get through his first read very often, doesn't get through him well. All, that's where all that comes from. When you look at the data, turns out actually he does, and he does it better than anybody else in the draft class. Um, but what you can, when you watch the tape, you're like, wow, there's, it doesn't happen very often. So much of this offense is just a pre snap look. It's, you know, where you're going with the ball. So catch the snap, rock back, wait for it to come open, bam, hit him. And he does that really well, but you have to go quite a while before you find a play where you're like, okay, there we go. Now we're doing something different. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the offense that Wyoming was operating with Josh Allen, where it's like the whole thing is almost like it's designed around just making Josh Allen's arm look good. Like whenever they were aligned on one hash mark, he would be throwing a deep out to the other hash mark because most like quarterbacks in that conference can't do that. So it's actually a wide open area of the field in that offense because people aren't used to defending it. But it becomes a pain in the ass when you're trying to like evaluate what the guy does because it's not applicable NFL things. So that's kind of where I am with with Justin Fields is I like what he does. I think his skill set is real. I think he brings a lot of good to the table. A lot of the concerns I think are offense are concerns with Ohio State's offense, not Justin Fields but there are those couple of red flags in terms of like processing time not that he can't do it it's how long some of those things take and what happens when you know the blitz is thrown his
0: way and those kinds of things and the way kurt said it was right because that the way kurt described it was he can do it i've seen it i don't know why the bad plays are there i don't know why there are certain plays where he's not reading it out right or whatever it might be um so did i get the email right no no you didn't NFL podcast uh, sorry NFL podcast at pff.com email those screenshots so the way Kurt said it was like I don't understand those plays that go wrong honestly I got that same vibe from Tua last year it wasn't that many plays but there are some plays where Tua is lightning quick most of the time he's lightning quick and then every now and again it's just like frozen pick six it's a couple plays but it's there Jimmy Garoppolo has elements of that so again there are current and does is that what might keep a jimmy garoppolo from being a high-end quarterback because there are some plays where he just takes too many sacks or um, misreads linebackers or whatever it is um so look i think those are fair question marks with justin fields i think the throwing of the football is fantastic yeah uh velocity touch uh, again i like what kurt said about essentially layering the ball sometimes you have to throw it over a backer and in front of a safety you have to have all those throws in the arsenal so to speak fields does that really well um and then i also agree with kurt about zach wilson being the best guy this is now a kurt warner fan show it is man i just I, i think he's got the i would i would flip mac jones and fields but again he's not like tied to that i would put fields at three and mac jones at four and trey lance at five um i like by the way
1: that he was so most people just come out there and they throw their quarterback rankings there i like that he was sort of tying this notion of fluidity to it it's like hey if you run a system that covets this athleticism yeah like bump them up you would have you could there's an argument for fields at two i I like that i think that's a good caveat to throw there now it won't be taken that way people will just go one two three four five here's what Kurt warner thinks but i like that that's context thrown at those rankings
0: right because the way the guy plays is going to play if you're the jets and you're like okay what are this guy's weaknesses because fields are different than wilson's what are his weaknesses what are his strengths what's best for what we want to do how will we best accentuate his strengths and hide his weaknesses? Yep. So then you then that's how you evaluate. It's not as simple as one, two, three, four, five. Um, but Wilson, the most intriguing part about Zach Wilson, to me, is what he does off platform, and and I I can't wait because on the PFF draft show, Darius Butler already in a production meeting, he's already given his Zach Wilson takes and i think we might have some disagreement on the show i I, he's and and the through the the lens that darius is looking at it is fascinating because he's saying here's this good college play that might not work in the nfl Uh, where again a lot of our thing is like here's this positive right check 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 positive 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 good grade and darius is trying to say yeah this might not work and honestly, Joe Burrow had some of those throws last but year. But that's
1: everybody, right? Like yeah. That's that's just one of the things where you translate from college to the NFL. It gets harder. A lot of throws you make are not going to be possible at the NFL level. Every single quarterback has a bunch of throws. Where you're like, okay, this one isn't going to fly at the next level. That doesn't mean you – I don't think you can take them away and assume that that's what he's going to do at the NFL level. And maybe maybe he will make a few of those throws in the first um, – you know in the first year maybe he has a sort of Peyton Manning adjustment or it's like okay that guy's gonna throw a ton of picks right away until he learns what's NFL and what's not but I don't think it immediately invalidates
0: his uh, potential I wish we had more time with Kurt because he did sound like you too he's like you've got Alabama open and NFL yeah. open and the, the the follow-up to that would be okay how long would it take it to or a Mac Jones to adjust right that's the debate we've had how long does it take to learn Alabama open and converting that to nfl open and being able to throw with a little bit more anticipation but um with zach wilson my biggest concerns i thought were a lot of his negatives a lot of his bad throws or bad plays were simple stuff right he'd sail a throw outside the numbers or uh as good as he's been when he resets his feed and, and makes plays off off out of structure there are plays where that you know breaks down and he does miss some throws there um And then to me there's just little stuff there was like inaccuracy on screens and qb sneaks that like the the qb like it's the simplest thing but he just didn't execute it very well i i wonder if there's an attention to details issue with wilson or if i'm overrating those those few negatives that he had Uh, it's a small thing but i think it's you know those things add up over time
1: yeah to me like his ceiling is phenomenal his upside the the arm talent that he brings is incredible. I, I like the idea that he um, trends towards those quarterbacks like Rodgers and Mahomes and Russell Wilson, who are comfortable playing outside of structure. Um, the only real negative is one sample size, you know, one year wonder and a COVID year and playing in the conference without a ton of competition. And then two, that idea of that lack of competition et cetera, just set him up with this ridiculously easy platform where you know Alabama might be the easiest offense to be quarterbacking in because of Alabama open but BYU probably wasn't far behind because of nobody will ever touch you we will set up a wall in front of you and defense will never come within a city block of interfering with you in the pocket uh, go nuts do whatever you like in terms of the passing game
0: is that one of those where, you know, I, I've heard scouts say this. I've talked to people who said, I watched all of Zach Wilson's plays under pressure, all like 70 of them, right. 50 of them. And he just can't play in the NFL. Can't do it. Third rounder. Um, and again, our, the PFF take would be like, look, play under pressure is unstable. Like the actual execution of the play or the, uh, the passer rating that comes out of it, the grade was unstable. However, you can definitely glean... Something about how a guy handles it. Does he maneuver the pocket? Does he extend plays? Does he just deer in the headlights with whatever it might be? Are there concerns about how often Zach Wilson played under pressure? Are there concerns about how he handles it? Because whether it's stable or not, you're still going to see more at the NFL level. Because if we're talking about what could go wrong for these players, I think both Zach Wilson and Mac Jones have questions about how they're going to handle. NFL type pressure, which is different from college pressure. I mean,
1: yeah, the, his problem is I think you just saw so little of it that I don't know that you can take anything from it. I mean, 79 dropbacks, I think last year under pressure, it's just it's not enough to draw any meaningful conclusions, I think. It genuinely isn't. Even even in terms of trying to do what you're talking about of sort of isolating little bits of traits and tendencies of how he reacts to it, it's just such a small amount of data, they you're like, I mean, maybe he just had a crappy run. Um, so I, I think his big question is an unknown more than a negative when it comes to pressure. And the reason I think that he'll be okay at adjusting to that is because I think he tends to play in that chaotic way anyway. He leans towards that Mahomes stuff where, and Russell Wilson, where he's actually comfortable deliberately almost sabotaging a play to then take advantage of the chaos, right? That, I mean, that kind of is play under pressure, even if it's slightly different, the mechanics of it, in that you're inviting it or creating it as opposed to it being forced upon you. But I think those traits are the same. And so many of his best plays are like that. I have way more confidence in that guy being able to handle pressure than somebody who doesn't like playing like that and has the small sample size issue.
0: You know, and that's, that was Josh Allen too. I mean, that was an exact note in in his scouting report for me was josh allen feels more comfortable outside of yeah the pocket and it's either recency bias, it's either my recency bias or the nfl's better at this taking the josh allen patrick mahomes natural playmaker that that you you have the thing that's uncoachable it used to be like just arm talent is uncoachable but maybe it's just natural playmaking is the uncoachable thing we have emails coming in already by the way how live people? oh through oh because we're we're live on periscope we do awesome that's great we get subscribers pff nfl daily and the pff nfl podcast send it to podcast nfl podcast mm-hmm. at pff.com i can't even get our own email yeah. nfl podcast at pff.com and you're in the running for the free pff edge um, so yeah maybe the unteachable thing is instinctual plays in the nfl a.k.a. Andy Reid, a.k.a. Brian Dayball, the NFL is better at harnessing that. That's going to be there. Harnessing that and then helping a guy win within structure. It's also the same thing that the Rams and the 49ers might be moving on from, which is Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo don't move towards. They don't have that. And they're like, hey, I can teach in structure plays. I can do that. I'm good. I'm Kyle Shanahan. I'm Sean McVay i can't teach natural playmaking give me matthew stafford give me justin fields at three or trey lance or trey lance see i think the argument for trey jones or mac jones anybody but mac jones anybody Anybody but anybody but dad Bud jones the argument for mac let's so let's go to mac jones Kurt likes his processing correct accuracy i mean there's a lot to like about Mm -hmm. mac there is and the one thing we're missing is the same thing Kurt said: is the out of structure plays. Is he going to be an Andy Dalton, ish type of player?
1: He is a fascinating case study because he. The question essentially is: how good in today's NFL can you be, if you don't thrive outside of the stru- outside of structure? Um, and obviously, we know like the answer to that is you can be a Super Bowl winning not MVP because he wasn't, but MVP caliber, maybe quarterback. Tom Brady just had that season, right? Tom Brady was as good top three quarterback, won a Super Bowl with a new team. So the answer is you can be as good as that, but you need to be the greatest of all time to achieve that. So it's sort of what is a realistic ceiling for that player? Because that's what the Mac Jones question is. He, I think, is probably the best quarterback in the draft in terms of processing and flying through his reads and executing the offense within structure just so efficiently and so quickly, like the speed with which he works through that system at Alabama is phenomenal to me. Um, But he doesn't, he's bad outside of structure. Like he just isn't, it's not even that he doesn't do it. He's not good at it. And it's not necessarily because he is this terrible athlete. He isn't, it's actually okay as an athlete, just not compared with the other guys. It's just that he doesn't bring that element to his game. And I don't really think that that's something that you end up teaching or developing at the next level. So the question is, is he good enough at the stuff he's good at to buck the trend that's heading in the other direction and be a new Tom Brady and those kinds of things? And B, how much of a drag or an impact is that that Alabama offense going to have on him? Like Alabama Open versus NFL Open. Tua struggling year one is not going to help his evaluation. It's like how hard is that going to be for him? Because that's the stuff you need to be phenomenal at. So if you're if you have a harder adjustment to make in that area, now the one thing that's your calling card is the hardest adjustment to make.
0: Yeah, I I think I think the Tua thing is the biggest thing working against Mac Jones, if anything, or at least in my mind in in the way I I'm evaluating. Because you could describe a lot of Tua's games similar to Mac. Works fast and hits open throws and blah, blah 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 and we do a good job of quantifying that but again the difference between say a 94 grade and maybe a 90 might just be Devontae Smith and and Jalen Waddell getting behind the defense it's a couple extra opportunities throwing the ball down the field and I do think um, I've I've met with uh, I mentioned this before The guy on Mississippi Radio uh, Dave Bartu does college football analysis And he does it at the simplest high level Which is did you elevate your team In college And I think there's ways to like use Simple black and white Things like that And maybe get in the ballpark of quarterback evaluation um, So his argument Would have been last year Justin Herbert was his top guy Because he didn't have a good Coordinator, didn't have a good system at Oregon And Joe Burrow had stars right Dak Prescott elevated Patrick Mahomes elevated it's Josh Allen elevated Wyoming you're getting in the ballpark but so I think you have to pair that with the production grade with the traits and I think if you roll that all in um, you're just increasing your chances so Mac Jones had an easy situation he has okay traits and he had a really good production grade now that doesn't make him that much different as a prospect from a guy a guy like Trevor Lawrence or a guy like Justin Fields who have they have better traits both had a really good situation and they both had a really good production like those guys have to be just a tick above, right? I do think that so
1: part of this now is that Mac Jones' stock seems to be on the rise, and a lot of insiders think he's going number three to San Francisco and um, all that that entails. And there's a question about why, like, why is that happening? Why would Mac Jones' stock suddenly be soaring? It must be stories, it must be smoke, it must be bullshit. I do think the way that NFL teams handle the draft actually meshes with this idea of his stock going up the later we go. Because people look at this and they're like, why would his stock start going up after football has been played? Like finished, nobody's done anything. But like most NFL teams will go through and pass one is like you broadly figure out what people look like. You do the quick, dirty evaluation, where like this guy's here, this guy's nowhere near, blah, blah, you order it. Then once you have a rough idea of what you're looking at, you go through and you do the deeper dive, the second pass where you actually get into a guy's game and really start to unpick what he's good and bad at and all those kinds of things. And I think that Mac Jones suffers on a first-run look. First-run look, you're looking at Trevor Lawrence, gifted. Zach Wilson, incredibly gifted. uh, Justin Fields, athlete, gifted. Trey Lance, freaky athlete, gifted. And Dad Bob Jones in Alabama. And it's just like, by comparison, it just looks meh. You know what I mean? So you look, you come out of this first run, you're like, I mean, I just, yeah, you got these special trait players. And then you've got this dude who, has a gut and smokes a cigar and it just doesn't look as nice um smokes a cigar because he won the national title man that's why but then you dive in on the second pass and the more you watch you're like wow look at the speed with which he is processing within this system like the stuff that he is good at he's really good at it it's just it's not as obvious as the other guy so it takes until pass two and that kind of meshes with the timeline of his stock suddenly soaring you get to phase two and it's like, wow, actually, the more we watch of this
0: guy, the more we like. I think you're right because I've had those exact conversations. I had those conversations in January and February where people are like, ah, you know, middle of the first, you know, maybe he just yeah. runs the offense and blah, blah, blah. And then not only is the buzz higher, but even like the same conversations I'm having, are like, ah, he's, gr- he's growing on me. How yeah. many people have said Mac Jones is growing on you? Yeah. Not just, you know, the dad bod, but he's like, you know.
1: we're now by the way getting people just sending in random screenshots of the podcast yes let me just be clear
0: i don't want you to send a screenshot of the podcast a screenshot that you are a subscriber to the podcast that you are entrenched that you are with us that you are one of us that
2: you're maybe with us
0: us every week you are part of the pff nfl podcast and the pff nfl daily as a subscriber send us screenshots to confirm that that you're going to be with us Two to three times a week on the PFF NFL podcast. Five times a week on the Daily. Maybe he just wants to let us know. Um, But yes, this guy did send us a nice screenshot of me. All
1: right. Trey Lance, and then let's talk about what do you do if
0: you're outside of the first round? Um, We did touch on some of the non-first-round quarterbacks on the PFF NFL Daily. Um, With Trey Lance, I just think it's the biggest risk of the five. He's my fifth option. Um, I would want him... I want him to you don't want to sit him necessarily it's not that I want him to I think everybody benefits potentially from sitting no matter what your skill set is I think everybody potentially benefits from sitting yeah and I think you can glean information about the player you just let them understand the NFL all of everybody can potentially benefit from it sure. and I would want him as a guy that sits behind a Jared Goff or behind a sam donald teddy Bridgewater, whoever it is my
1: point with lance is that there's nothing unique to him in my opinion that says he needs to sit versus these other guys that don't if you're of the opinion if you are of a situation where you can sit a quarterback behind a guy who's not going to be a disaster in year one and therefore improve his chances to succeed long term or just generally go for it but do that for mac jones do that for trey lance do it for trevor lawrence do it for whoever the hell you want right if you're in that position if you're not i if you're denver you you don't have that luxury whoever you're picking if you're denver if you're trading up to grab a quarterback in the first round that guy is starting because drew Locke can't um so the difference like if you if you're denver and you have a choice between mac jones or trey lance the neither of those guys should determine whether he's sitting or not week one in my opinion they can both start week one and be an upgrade over drew lock based off what we've seen um i i like a lot of trey lance he's slightly strange to me because um there's been debate as to how strong his arm is and i get why because he doesn't actually show the strong arm all that often which is weird and i don't know again this is like the kurt warner thing is why is something happening it's one thing to identify it on tape but to understand what the reason is for that now i spoke to seth galena one of our guys and he was saying I wonder if that's why he's inaccurate because he's deliberately trying to throw these touch passes, which kind of screws up just the natural turn, throw, hit a guy type of thing, right? Is he thinking about throwing too much, which is causing the inaccuracy? And if you just said, look, let fly, we'll figure it out later. And you just, you know, played it more like Josh Allen, where most of your passes are going to be high velocity lasers because that's what you throw. You would see an immediate jump in accuracy from him.
0: I would not equate Lance's experience to Mac Jones, though. I mean, Lance has... I haven't has,
1: done that. I have simply compared, Steve. Embrace the comparison.
0: I don't think it's much of a comparison. 331 attempts for Trey Lance. Yeah, but my point was career. simply
1: that if if you embrace the idea that you have a strong arm, like Josh Allen, and threw most of your passes that way, you might be more accurate because of it. If the reason that you're... If... A no, portion I'm of make, your inaccuracy I, I right now is because you're taking some of your some of it off your arm for reasons of trying
0: to be more accurate. No, I I get the accuracy, but I'm talking about the experience factor. Yeah, I I never did that. You were using number of starts and stuff like that. Before. I
1: didn't mention Josh Allen except to say I said strength. Mac
0: Jones. You said Josh Allen. I meant Mac Jones. Okay, well that's an important difference. Um, I you know if if the idea is like he's he's trying to take a little something off that's also called touch and, and I think he's shown that but like Carson Wentz had some of that as well within the North Dakota State system so that could be that could be a system thing mm-hmm. as well um, Trey Lance I just think is the the riskiest but I also think he has the highest quote unquote upside as a runner and the best natural runner and if you are going to incorporate QB run game at the level yeah that the Saints do with Taysom Hill, that the Eagles will do with Jalen Hurts, that the Ravens will do with Lamar Jackson. Let's use the Lamar Jackson line. There's a path to success for Trey Lance if you're going to build it a little bit more than a normal team. Accuracy issues dwindle, right? Which also
1: helps him start day one, right? This idea of the, the Jalen Hurts thing. You can bring an incredibly high floor because of that rushing threat, which buys you some time to work on the things you need to work on from the passing game. So... Mac Jones might hit the NFL, realize that the adjustment from Alabama off- Open to NFL Open is colossal, and his single biggest strength has been almost neutralized, and now he's really struggling year one. Trey Lance might come into the NFL with relatively, relative weaknesses compared with Jones in those areas, but he can massively offset that because the dude can be a huge part of your running game, which gives him a, a much higher platform to work from so in a weird way despite being sort of less nfl ready if you're prepared to build around him the right way trey lance
0: might have an easier transition yeah i agree with that so um i'd still want him to sit um because i want other people to sit as well um and, and i want him to sit only because i think he's the riskiest because it's the smallest sample size and that's that's my and it just gives me more time to to get him where he needs to be okay um so you've got our our five first rounders yep uh we do do a daily on our favorite non-first round quarterback but on the pff draft board we have kyle trask davis mills kellen mond as that next group um what are your thoughts on on this on that trio at least uh don't
1: want any part of davis mills i just don't think he's good um every now and again he flashes like a really nice big time throw it looks great and but no I don't want any part of that the idea that he's getting first round hype right now is absolutely insane to me and i think almost has to be coming out of his camp somewhere like his agent is planting that uh kellen mond
0: i we was need a the lot list. more intrigued kevin by. hogan got like a day of first round hype too yeah. just saying yeah that wasn't
1: great um go ahead kevin hogan might have been a better quarterback than davis mills anyway see that uh kellen mond i quite like Um, I his biggest issue right now is for a guy as equipped to make big plays as he is where are they like there's just a complete absence of big plays and big time throws and those kinds of things but like short and intermediate I think he's really good and really accurate has the athleticism to make plays and that be a part of his game as well didn't have a ton of help given what was around him I think like his situation was not phenomenal but you know you've you thrown his tape against Alabama and he's hitting some ridiculously tight window throws on slants into those first couple of windows with guys all around him um I it feels to me that if you have those tools we should be able to figure out why you're not throwing the ball deeper and being more aggressive and work on that
0: right is it, that I, I almost heard you describing like a Jason Campbell who went in the first round yeah back in the mid-2000s had the ability but was also just pretty conservative like alex smithy yeah. type of conservatism it's not a bad comp actually um that one just came to me for he Kellen.
1: reminded me a little bit of rg3 i was getting rg3 vibes in it it's a stylistic thing as much as anything else the way he moves had that certain sort of robotic like machine yeah. m- machinery type of movement where it's all very linear and straight line yeah. and, um but also when he takes off with those long limbs you know, it's a little bit of sort of flailing gazelle about it, which was always an RG3 trade. It was never this sort of, you know, fluid, beautiful movement the way Lamar runs. It was just kind of flailing limbs everywhere. Um, so Mond reminds me of RG3 a little bit in that way. But also, like, if you're going to structure an offense around him the way that Washington did with RG3, I, I don't see a reason why he can't be a, a viable NFL
0: starter. So I could see Mond being the most intriguing of the backup candidates trask I, I think is intriguing too just because of the just the lack of experience in high school the fact that experience, he's
1: experienced period i mean the
0: more overall I, yeah. yeah
1: the more i learned about his sort of backstory and how little he's actually played the game the more interested i am like he what did i tell you he threw like 160 passes or something in high school yeah derek king was yeah. was in front of him then was a backup in florida to felipe franks and then finally got like a couple of years of starting one wasn't great And then this year was pretty freaking phenomenal in the SEC. Now, granted, most of his worst games came against the best opposition. But when you say, like, essentially since the age of, what, like 14, he's played two seasons. Is essentially what you're talking about here. Right, one of them was really good. That, that, and like... Played
0: two seasons, one of which was as, was kind of as good as anybody in the nation. So here's here's how do you describe that, right? Because usually when you say this guy has upside, yes. quote-unquote, it's dependent on big arm, right? Yeah. He's got an arm where if you let him make big-armed throws, the results could be really good. Kyle Trask's upside is he will play enough football to process like Mac Jones, yeah. right? Which like He's behind the eight ball, high school, and he just hasn't played football. And he could process well enough to play like Mac Jones, a limited tools guy, not create outside of structure, but he can run the offense efficiently enough that he's like a Mac Jones.
1: I think his dream scenario is to wind up somewhere, Chicago, right? Chicago, I think, is his dream scenario, whereby Chicago have basically settled for a starting quarterback. They need a backup, um, you know, a a viable long-term backup, and then they think they're probably going to be back in the quarterback market next year. But so you my point essentially is that trask should go somewhere that wants a a good backup quarterback but oh by the way if he actually turns into something better than that it's it's kind of useful for them you know what i mean like i because of his limited physical tools he doesn't have a particularly good arm is very unathletic like mac jones gets the label of being unathletic trask actually is unathletic fourth percentile i think for the 40 and the short shuttle so he really is unathletic, uh, and it has at best a Mac Jones esque arm and probably weaker. Um, so when you look at that, it's like again the landing that you have to stick to be good with that tool set is just so small. But I'm so fascinated by this idea of, like literally, the dude since the age of 14 has played essentially two seasons of football, one of which was pretty phenomenal. So you have to think there's more potential there, right?
0: Yeah. I, I think so so uh, Trask is is intriguing um, Mond is intriguing to me those are the top guys I just, so I disagree a little bit with Mike on the list here Davis Mills does have some tools to play with um, needs a little bit better touch and accuracy uh, Jamie Newman has some intrigue as well coming out of a Wake Forest system that just was not NFL centric but has um, he's got a pretty solid arm uh, Shane is Talked about Elite Eleven earlier. I loved him so much, so much, so my much boy, your voice, your so much. Wow, at Elite Eleven, and then you just saw he was just a little slight, was inconsistent in college. But Shane Bouchelle's in this draft class. His yep. former teammate Sam Ellinger, yeah, in the class. <laughs> there's a bunch of quarterbacks that, that who was just a winner. Uh, you know, one of those like he's a winner. Yeah, you got to use a little QB run game with Ellinger. Is like a Tebow light from that respect as a yeah, runner. Ian Book actually has one of the better athleticism scores in in our, uh, in our numbers that actually translate to performance for whatever that's worth. And then you mentioned Felipe Franks, and here's all I want to mention is Felipe Franks has the best throw of the draft class. Yes. When he was at Florida, game on the line. Probably has the strongest arm of the draft strongest class. Strongest arm. Felipe Franks is going to get drafted because he has an absolute cannon. He's like a Jeff Driscoll who went to Florida underwhelmed as a football player, got a little bit better as a transfer, and has tools. Felipe Franks, though, at Florida had a 70 yard in stride post route to beat Tennessee in walk off fashion, which is one of the best throws I've ever seen. It wasn't a Hail Mary, it was an in stride post. I mean, it was bad defense, too. (laughs) I think. But Felipe Franks at 6'6, 2'30 with an absolute cannon who just doesn't work very quickly.
1: So there's a couple of guys lower in this draft that are essentially bad football players with great tools. Felipe Franks is one of those players, KJ Costello is another one of those players who managed to somehow fail in a Mike Leach offense, which is probably a first, right? Has any quarterback ever looked worse in a Mike Leach offense than he did previously? Because that's Costolo. Like He went from a yeah. Stanford system where I've seen him play at Stanford. And you're like, really? Mike Leach went after that guy? And then he played badly enough to get benched in a Mike Leach offense. So that's not great. The other guy I think that's intriguing though is um, Jamie Newman, who never got to play for Georgia So all we're left with is his Wake Forest tape, which was really good. But again, it's another one of those sort of problematic tapes where it's like, I mean, there's a lot here that isn't NFL applicable, but his grading is very good. It was trending in the right way. He's a guy I would have loved to have seen play this year. Like if we'd gotten a year from Jamie Newman in the SEC at Georgia, which was another step ahead of what he'd done with that step-by-step getting better and better, I think he would be a first-round quarterback first round if he'd played last year and taken another step forward
0: yeah I mean Newman you just wanted to see him in a different offense it is like one of the benefits of college now though uh, with the college free agency essentially right (laughs) with the transfer rule seeing guys like a KJ Costello in different situations um, is beneficial uh, because it's that's part of the projection, right? You're projecting a guy to the NFL doing stuff he's never done before. You at least get to see two different scenarios. But
1: he's the guy. When we, we've we've been talking about this, is it just a trend or is it just the wave of variance? Where guy the the recent trend is all these toolsy quarterbacks panning out, right? If you were outside of the first round, you need a quarterback, and you're like, all right, who has the tools? Which guy do I like the best in terms of a a set the IKEA quarterback? there's a box of tools to be a good starting nfl quarterback which which guy do i like my chances of being able to piece together and become the next josh allen newman is the gamble i think that i would
0: take if the, if that was my goal so i you know i like it there's there are guys there's paths to success you could you can envision it at least for guys like trask and mond and newman and guys in the uh beyond the first round and that's all that you can second ask for tier, right so yeah. there's
1: the five first round guys And then there is the Mond, Trask, Newman, I guess, if you want to throw Davis Mills in there as well. That would be tier
0: two. Because he's only started like 10 games.
1: Yeah. Um, And then you have the rest where it's like, I'm not saying never, because, you know, Tom Brady happened. You can't just look at day three quarterbacks and say there's no chance any of these guys ever work out. But... I would be f- staggered if anybody else ended up as being a high-end starting NFL
0: quarterback. To me, one of the one of the most fascinating things to me is when you have guys that battled out for a quarterback job, and then they're both in the draft class together. Yeah. There's multiple of those right now. Kyle Trask beat out Felipe Franks essentially at Florida. Uh, Sam Ellinger beat out Shane Bouchelle, so Bouchelle ended up at SMU. Uh, and I thought there was one more, but that's it. Um, is there one more? Cost- oh, Costello and uh Mills must have Davis Mills have some kind of overlap right we're both there together um the the big one that comes to mind recently is Kirk Cousins and Nick Foles were both at Michigan State Cousins beat out Foles Foles transfers to Arizona they've both become reasonable NFL quarterbacks but Cousins has been better sometimes the guy you know the guy that wins out generally does become the better quarterback in the NFL yeah, right though
1: it does work the other, like wasn't one of the knocks on Joe Flacco that he couldn't beat out like
0: who the hell was it that was Oh uh, that's a good point I'm just thinking uh, somebody at penn state
1: yeah somebody terrible and so, so
0: couldn't beat him justin fields i don't know that he couldn't beat out jake Fromm. i think georgia was just right. so and comfortable like joe with Burrow jake from trans you know joe Burrow transferred to lsu it's like uh, couldn't i take back that the guy that wins yeah. the job is always the best guy <laughs> but it's always an intriguing storyline to me that these guys battled it out somewhere else and they're always in the in the draft class okay. together as well okay right. um so anyway let's wrap it up with this Send us those screenshots. They're already coming in. We appreciate everybody's subscriptions. Show that you're subscribed to the PFF NFL Daily and the PFF NFL Podcast. We will pick at least one winner to receive PFF Edge Annual. Uh, Either way, you can get to Underdog Fantasy, pay 10 bucks, use the promo code PFF to get a PFF Edge Annual. But we are just appreciative of all of our new listeners here, new viewers. We'll be back again tomorrow on Friday with a little bit more. NFL draft discussion and don't forget about draft night you're going to spend it with PFF Thursday night 7 p.m. Friday night 6 p.m. Saturday Sunday we're going to be there the entire weekend spend draft week weekend with us thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you guys tomorrow